Jesus' hope for the nations. And as we've been working through this series, we've touched a number of different things. We talked about the fact that there's certain things that God wants you to know. He wants you to know that you're loved. He wants you to know that you, are, you have a purpose. He wants you to know that you are his child. He wants you to know that you have a home in heaven one day looking forward to that. And so there's certain things he wants you to know. But not only does he want you to know these things, he wants you to share them with others. And one of the greatest privileges that we have in this life is not just to know God in an intimate and personal way, but to be able to share that love with somebody else. That's why we support missions. That's why this week, our missionary and a part of our church family, Jim Moore, is going to be in the Philippines and teaching in a Bible college and training and developing people. And he's heading off to India for a couple of weeks and teaching pastors there and developing them to go out and to share the most wonderful news. The Bible calls it the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have this wonderful hope that, that God wants us to know about. He wants us to share with others. And whenever we share with others, it always costs us something. And there's certain things when you pay, you're not really happy about. Like, who got their rates in the mail recently? Like, did you get your rates in the mail and go, fantastic. I was hoping it would be more. May I give more, please? But there's certain things when we have a real purpose behind them, when we have a reason to give, because we know it's bigger and greater than just the here and now, it's more than just our, our, our rubbish and our parks to take care of. It's something of eternity to look forward to. Our perspective totally changes. Last week we heard from Jim Moore, and he opened up God's Word in the book of Revelation, chapter number 3, and he talked about the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who opens doors, but he's also the one that closes doors. And we should be grateful either way. Because we know that he's the one that's opened doors, and he's the one that's closed them. That's really hard. I mean, it's so easy to say. It just rolled off my tongue so easily. But it's hard to come back and say, God, you shut a door. Thank you. And it only takes me several weeks or months or sometimes years of looking back and going, God, I'm really glad that I didn't marry that person. I'm glad I didn't marry that person. God, you shut that door. Thank you for that. Or I'm glad that I didn't open that door and take that job. I'm glad that I migrated to Australia. I'm glad you opened that door, but you shut the other doors to these other places. Where would I have been but for God opening and shutting doors? If you have your Bibles, open the, to the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter number 4 this morning. And it is a, a tremendous book because it's the passion and the enthusiasm and the emotions of a man who's writing his very final letter to somebody that wasn't just a distant acquaintance. It was someone he called my son in the faith. And Timothy was a, was a man who had grown up. He'd been taken under the wing of the Apostle Paul, and he'd been trained and developed and sent out as a pastor himself. And now Paul is writing a letter to him in order to tell him his final words. And if you ever sat with someone, whether you knew it or not, and they were sharing their last words with you. I'd already developed this, this sermon and this outline before Wednesday. But on Wednesday, John Woods was a, a alert. He had a, a stroke, so he wasn't able to communicate clearly. But he could communicate through his, his movement. And he could hold a hand and he could formulate some words. And he told his daughter how beautiful she was and stroked her face. 
he whispered something, and his wife said it was personal stuff between a husband and a wife, so I didn't bother asking. <laughs> and it, it, personal things between the two of them. And then, of course, that night he slipped away and, and never to really wake up again. Those final words are precious. And some of you have experienced some final words in the, in the recent past, and the, it's raw and it's fresh to you. I want you to imagine for a moment, we're going to start with this, this question, we're also going to finish with this question. The question is, imagine that your name was the title of this book. The book is called Timothy, because it was written to a man named Timothy. Imagine if it was named Michael, or put your name in there. Imagine that Paul was writing to you, and he was telling you these things. The way that you read the book becomes very different. The book of 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verse 22, the very end of the book, the very last phrase that he uses is this. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Now, the Apostle Paul, those weren't his last words that he ever spoke on earth. But those are the last words ever recorded. And for Timothy, those are the very last words given. He says there, the Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you. A number of years ago, in fact, it would have been in the year 2000, I, I visited the U.S. where my grandfather was. My grandfather was elderly at the time, and, and he was not well, but we did not know he was going to pass away. And I did not realize that was the last time I was going to see him. And sitting down with him, and I was a young man going off to Bible college, and, and sitting across from him, he began to impart wisdom. And I, I honestly wish that I would have written it down, because had I written it down, then I would have been able to actually say, this is what my grandpa told me. But he was encouraging me to be a man of God. And the ups and the downs and the difficulties of life stay true and stay strong. And as a young 19-year-old, Many of you were 19-year-olds like me. I already knew everything. And I knew a lot. So I was kind of flipping, oh, yes, Grandpa, I'll do that. I wish I would have realized those were the last words. So this morning, as we look at, at this last chapter of, of 2 Timothy, I want you to know this is filled with emotion. Beginning of the, of the, of the book, he talks about the things that he, he, he very personal. And in, the, in chapter number one, he talks about, he says, I thank God. He says, I remember in verse number three, verse four, I long to see you. I'm reminded I was appointed. I suffer. I'm not ashamed. He says in verse 12, I know and I am convinced. And you have this list of various things that he, he went through in his mind and he's sharing with Timothy as he goes into the second chapter. He talks about who Timothy really is in his identity and the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the doctrine of Jesus Christ changes who Timothy is. And he says, what you've heard of me, I want you to share with others. And in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And he goes into chapter number 3, and, and he makes it very personal, and he says, you know, you've experienced the things that I've experienced. You've seen the things that I've seen. In verses 10 and 11 of chapter 3, he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. And you have all of that. And he says, you know, you've experienced these things. Now, what are we supposed to do about them? Going back to chapter number four, verse 22. 
It says, the Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you. He gives some final words, the Lord be with you. Now, to be honest with you, we kind of, we say that all the time. God bless you. You ever stop and think about the fact that God promises? He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. As you go on in this life and the ups and the downs and the difficulties and the uncertainties, you know that something as simple as the Lord be, be with your spirit. That is actually he says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And he goes on and he says, grace be with you. Now that can be just a common ending. But you start to think about the grace of God. God's undeserved favor upon you. The word grace in a very simple definition is undeserved favor. It's God giving you favor when you do not deserve it. That's the grace of God. It's receiving something wonderful for God that you did not deserve and cannot earn on your own. That's the wonderful grace of God. And our principle for today is this. And every single Sunday, we have a principle that you can seek to apply to your life. God's presence and grace will change the way I see myself and others. God's presence and grace will change the way I see myself and others. The Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you. Chapter number four. You start off with Paul sharing the emotion of who he is. He says, I suffer, I'm persecuted, I'm convinced. And he goes on into the next chapter explaining who Timothy needed to be. Chapter number three explained the fact that he had experienced these things already. And he, at the end of chapter number three, talks about the word of God being the source. And then he goes on in chapter number four, and he gives some serious final words. Now, I, this is my imagination, okay? purely my imagination. Paul's riding along there, and he's quite an author, and he's quite an quite a orator, and he has no problem filling the pages. And then he comes to the end of his parchment. You know, he's already gone front and back. And he realizes, I got some more things to say. I need to be really, really concise. Rather than just being, you know, exp expounding upon things, I'm just going to be really concise and lay out the various things that I need Timothy to know and for you and I to know today. Let's read verses 1 through 5 of chapter number 4. It's on the screen for you to follow. It says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom, and here, here's it is, here's the charge. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. He could have expounded upon each of those words, but he just gives a single word. Boom, boom, boom. With complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when the people will not endure sound teaching or having but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. God's presence and grace will change the way I see myself and others. We have two main points this morning. The two main points are talking about 
preach the word or proclaim the word of God. And the second is fulfill your ministry. So let's look at them and let's break this down based upon these scriptures. The first point is proclaim God's word. Do you ever have the fear that you don't have all the answers? Like every day. Do you ever have the fear that someone may ask you a question and you don't know the answer to it? And so therefore you may not share your faith or you may not let people know about your, your church or what God's done in your life because they may ask you a question and you don't know the answer to it. Well, according to this, he simply says, preach the word. The, to preach is the word that means to proclaim. Proclaim has the understanding of a person like a herald in the old days, would stand on the street corner and say, hear ye, hear ye. Then they would read off and simply state what it is their master or the king had told them to share. They weren't there to explain it all. It was simply to go out and say, here is the word of God. You know how much pressure that takes off of you and I to have all the answers? All he's asked us to do is to simply say, here's what the Bible says. Now, from that, and you, and you may think to yourself, now why does it take Michael 35, 40 minutes to, to, to preach the word? Just give us the word and let us go home. No. He says, here's the word of God. The, the Bible describes the word of God in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. I find it absolutely amazing. The same Bible the same word of God that your great, 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 great grandparents would have read and changed their lives is the same word of God that is relevant for our 21st century lives today and will be for your great, great grandchildren. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul of the spirit of joints and marrows and the discerning of thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The Word of God is the powerful one. It is not our ability to say things clearly. It's the Word of God that's powerful. The Holy Spirit works not through your brains and your ability, but through His Word, that he, how He works. See how much pressure that takes off of us? Not when we know that we don't have the answers. We can simply share what it is that you do know about the Word of God. Something as simple as, here's the Bible verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, and it's changed my life. And, and, and share the Bible verse and, and share your story and how it's changed you and to help you become who you are today. When you're going through difficulties, how do you have a hope and peace? It's based upon the, what the Word of God says. Because it's God that does the work. He's the one that does the changing. Philippians 2 verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Aren't you glad you don't have to be smart enough? Aren't you glad you don't have to have it all together? I mean, on a Sunday, and I think we've done pretty well today. The musicians did an excellent job. Everything went well. The announcements were just okay. We look good. But you know, sometimes the most successful and sometimes the most profitable Sundays that we have are the Sundays when everything messes up. And I'm, I'm not saying this for self-serving, so don't come and tell me, good job, Michael. But the Sundays that I feel that, like I really did bad, 
Like, I'm so embarrassed. Do I have to walk out there at the end of this? I really messed up this week. Are the weeks that people come back and go, Michael, that really touched me. That's exactly what I needed today. And I go, God, thank you because it's your work. It's your will. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us by the washing and the regeneration of his blood. It's not what we have done. I find that such a stress reliever. I still work hard. I still want to get into God's word and learn and to be able to, to proclaim the truth. But it takes the pressure off of you and I. There's three statements he says. He says there, be ready, be patient, and be focused. Be ready, be patient, and be focused. In order to proclaim God's word, you must be ready. You ever been hit in the head with a ball? And the person threw, like playing basketball, and they threw it to you, and you were just looking in the wrong direction? I mean, you were there. Your head was in the right place to catch it. You just weren't ready to receive it. In verse number 2 of that passage, it says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready. It literally means to be on standby. Like a person waiting on a transplant list, waiting for that phone to ring. You're constantly ready. When God calls you up, like a coach calls somebody up from the bench, the coach says, okay, get ready. You're going on right now. You don't go, stop. I need, like, how does this work again? Like, I need to stretch. I'm not ready yet. When the coach calls you up, you need to be ready right away. And that's the, the thought right there. Always being ready. Therefore, that drives us back into God's word, anticipating that we will learn something from his word when we read it every single day because I want to be ready, because I want to be ready to share God's word with somebody else. He goes on and it says, how are we ready? We're ready by, it says the word reprove, rebuke, and exhort. To reprove quite literally means to convince. Now here's the word of God. Here's the truth. The word rebuke, that is calling out something that is wrong when it is wrong. You know, it's actually, it's okay to say something is wrong. You go to the doctor, you want to hear the, the truth. You don't want a doctor to come along and say, no, you're doing great, when really there's cancer throughout your body. You want to know the truth. Paul says here, you don't only convince and you don't only rebuke or tell the truth when something is wrong. You exhort. And the word exhort has to do with comfort and encouragement. So you don't do it like, ha, you fool. You're wrong. I caught you. It is a matter of I'm telling you the truth so I can encourage you with the truth. I'm telling you, you're going down the wrong path so I can encourage you with the truth. We don't do that in our own strength and our own power. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 and 17. This is the previous chapter, the very end of chapter number three. Then we go into chapter number four. So this is a leading on in the same thought that, that Paul is teaching here. What's the source of our preaching? What's the source of our reproof and rebuke and exhortation? It is this all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? Or how? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Have you ever had authentic Mexican food? Not old El Paso. 
my wife is an amazing cook, and, and I, not just because she's here. She's an amazing cook, and she makes incredible Mexican food. If you want to come over our house sometime, it's good because I get to eat the Mexican food too, and so please come. But it's not authentic. And when we, Tammy and I lived in the U.S. in Florida, there was two little ladies and one little elderly lady about 80 years old named Mrs. Garcia, and Mrs. Garcia made real tortillas by hand. And she would hop on the hot plate, and then she made real salsa. And honestly, the first time I was invited to her house, I was helping her do some work around the house with her roof. And I got down, and she says, I'll make you some tortillas. And I thought, fantastic, that's great. I looked at it, and I thought, that's not Mexican food. That's not what I'm used to seeing. And you know, it doesn't come out of a packet. The spices were like, I have less hair on my chest because I burnt it off. Like, it was spicy. And oh, you have the real thing. And honestly, after I've had real tortillas, the old El Paso stuff from Woolworths, it's not the same. I mean, my wife, amazing cook, but it's not the same as the authentic stuff. And those of you who are from the you know, Asian countries, you know what real Chinese food or real Korean food tastes like. And you go back and you go, when you have the real thing, it's hard to go back and have anything that's not the real thing ever again because you're always comparing. When you know the real thing of God, when you proclaim and teach the real thing of God, you're always going to be different as a result. He says there, be ready. He also goes on and says, be patient. And I like the fact that he has to say this. Because Paul, of anybody, was an impatient person. He was focused. He says, okay, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it. But he had to remind, I believe, himself, but also Timothy, to be patient. He says, preach the word. And he goes on in the end of that verse, in verse number two, with complete patience and teaching. Patience has the understanding of to, to long-suffering, a fortitude. You ever told somebody something one time and they didn't get it, so you had to go back and tell them again? And the third or the fourth or the fifth time, you're like, just, will you get it already? I've told you this already. The Bible says here that we're to proclaim the God's word, but do it patiently. Every single time is fresh and new. The third is to be focused, to be ready, to be patient, and also to be focused. There's a lot of distractions in this world. And verse number five says, for As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. There's a lot of things we could possibly focus on. The church that I grew up in had ceiling tiles, and on the ceiling tiles had dots. And I would sit there and I would do my math because you worked out how many ceiling tiles are across and how many ceiling tiles are back. And you count them up and you work out the parameters and then you see the bricks in the wall. And, you start, and there's so many really interesting things when we should be listening to the Word of God. Focus. There's so many possible distractions when we're called to share the most wonderful news with somebody. We've been, been challenging us through this, the course of this month to ask God, what part do you want me to have in world missions? And we ask God that, and God, I believe, will give us an answer to that that's specifically for you. And he will give you peace about that. But then there's so many opportunities to be distracted and go, well, yeah, well, what about this? And what about that? And he goes on, and he says there to be focused, be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist. I believe that God has given you and I just enough. Just enough to be obedient. 
That leads us into that final little phrase of verse number five. Fulfill your ministry. I couldn't come up with a better phrase, so I used it as the point. Fulfill your ministry. Let's think about what it doesn't say. It doesn't say fulfill what somebody else wants you to do. There's lots of things. I have lots of plans for you. <laughs> no, not at all. It doesn't say that fulfill your pastor's plan, fulfill your church's plan, fulfill what your parents want you to do. What it says there is fulfill your ministry. I find that incredibly liberating because the pressure relief of just share the word of God, just proclaim God's word, is also the pressure relief of just fulfill God's plan for your life without having to compare with somebody else, without having to compare with anyone else. That's why like with our, I'll use faith promise as an example. With our faith promise, we don't ask for your name because we don't want to know your name. It's not a high, we're not there to pressure you. We're there to encourage you and exhort you and sometimes rebuke you. But it's fulfill your ministry. In regards to faith, your fear or lack of faith will be contagious. Have you ever been around somebody that has incredible faith, incredible passion? They become contagious. Uh, there's people in our, in our church that love plants. I mean, I mean, I have no problem with plants. I like green things, but my wife and I have a tendency to kill them. But the people, and you know who they are, they love plants. And anytime you get around them, you're dragged around their house, and they show you all the plants that they have. And be honest with you, by the end of the conversation, you go, I like plants. I, I want some of the plants. That passion becomes contagious. What about if your passion was the things of God and what he's done in your life, and that becomes contagious? But on the negative sense, your lack of faith is also contagious. It's contagious with your children. The issues and, and the, the, the horrible upbringing that you may have had, the abuse that you may have received as a child, don't allow that to be passed on generationally to your children. Break that cycle. Let them fulfill their ministry. Don't place your lack of faith upon them. In regards to faith promise, in regards to what God has asked us to do, we're challenging us to step out by faith. And 100% of what comes in, 100% of that goes out for our missionaries. But what we see here is that there's oftentimes distractions to fulfill our ministry. I honestly don't be believe that God, we need to sit back and pray, God, should I have the chicken or the steak today? Should I have the Cocoa Pops or the Wheat Bix? I mean, of course you want Cocoa Pops. You know, those sort of things, should I have the blue car or the red car? I, mean, I think God gives us enough grace to say, you choose what breakfast cereal you wish to have today. But I do believe that when things get in the way, that we are not ready that we are not patient, we're not focused, that it stops us from fulfilling the plan and purpose that God has for us. A number of years ago, I was, probably over 10 years ago, I was went out to dinner with a group of people to a steakhouse, 
and Tammy and I, we had a certain amount of money and budget, and we, we know how much we're giving, we know how much our expenses are, we know how much is coming in, and I went to a steakhouse not realizing that it was a very, very expensive steakhouse. And I sat down with these other people, and they were ordering steaks that were far beyond my food budget for the week. And I looked at that and I thought, what am I going to do? Because I, I, you have a choice. And this is a really practical lesson. I honestly don't believe that God cares if you have the chicken or the steak unless it stops you from fulfilling your ministry. They sat around there and I ordered the chicken because it was literally the cheapest thing on the menu and it was still not that particularly cheap. They looked at me and thought, you were at this incredible steakhouse. Why are you ordering chicken? I said, I just want white steak today. Because in the back of my mind, ordering that you know, $100 steak would have been far beyond and stopped me from fulfilling my ministry and stopped me from being able to do the things that I believe that God wanted me to do. So it was a priority. If you have the ability to order a $100 steak, really enjoy it. <laughs> so it's not a matter of you, should, you shouldn't order that. It's a matter of what is your priorities and what has God asked you to fulfill. God has given us an incredible privilege. And I'm going to tell a really long story really short. And it's a made-up story. This man named Fred, on a Saturday morning around 10 a.m., received a knock on his door. And this man, standing at Fred's door, just simply hands him an envelope without word, without explanation, and hands Fred an envelope. Fred, not knowing what to do, just takes the envelope, and the man turns and walks away. And Fred stands there for a moment, quite stunned, because it's a weird thing to happen on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Some stranger knocks on the door and hands you an, a plain envelope. As the man walks away and goes around the corner, Fred opens it up and finds inside $500. And he's quite shocked. I mean, you know, is this drug money? And he runs after the man around the corner and cannot find him at all. He thinks this is really weird. And he goes back inside, puts it to the side, and, and leaves it there for the week, and the week goes past. Next Saturday comes along, 10 a.m., right on the dot of 10 a.m., he receives a knock on the door. The same man is standing there. Fred opens the door, talks to the man. The man says, I simply, I want to be a blessing to you and, and show God's love to you. And he hands him the envelope again. Of course, Fred is incredibly grateful. He has needs. He has bills. He has things to things. And this $500, now $1,000, will make a tremendous impact in his life. And he thanks the man profusely, you know, walking him along the street, continuing to thank him and thank him. The next week, the same thing happens. He thanks this man. And Fred is incredibly grateful. But over the course of weeks turn into months, and months turn into many months. The knock on the door on Saturday morning, oh, again, to get up. And he just calls out one day, just leave it on the doorstep. And he does. He comes back later that morning, and the $500 in the envelope, the plain envelope, is still there. And that happens week after week. And now he like, doesn't even bother calling out. The knocks on the door, he just doesn't bother. He keeps continuing on on the things that he's enjoyed doing on a Saturday morning because it's kind of inconvenient to go to the door. But then one day, he realizes Saturday afternoon, where's my envelope? And he, he can't see it, and he's not there. And he, he looks around, and he, and he can't see his men. He can't see anyone that was stolen it. And then the next Saturday comes along, and he's mad. He's been thinking all week, where's my $500? And he waits for him. He gets out there at 9.55 and waits for this man to come. He's going to give him a piece of his mind, why he's missed a couple of weeks and how he needs to make it up. 
And across the road, he sees that man going down the footpath, and he goes across the road to one of the neighbor's houses and knocks on the door. And he's received by a person that's joyfully receiving the man and thanking him just like he had thanked him many, many months earlier. And he walked across the road and gave that man a piece of his mind. Where was his money? Where was his thing? You ever thought about how you and I are with the blessings of God? The incredible privilege that it is to have God's word sitting on our lap and the price of eternity that's been offered to you and the incredible gift of eternal life and the hope and the peace and the joy that we get to enjoy now. And God gives it to us, and I do not believe that God will ever take that away from us. That's not the, that's not the point of the illustration. What we're talking about here is the attitude. The attitude of, yeah, it's flippant. It doesn't really matter. It's going to be there anyway. I'll just, why bother? It's always there when I need it, but I don't have to, in a sense, step up for it. And over time, we become very lax. And we become very flippant about the things that God has done for us, the serious things of God. Our principle for today, again, is this. God's presence and grace will change the way that I see myself and others. A passage in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you. Imagine for a few moments that this letter was written with your name on it. How would you be re reading this? How are you going to go out and live the rest of today and tomorrow and the next weeks, months, and years ahead knowing that God has called you to preach the word and to fulfill your ministry? I have two questions for you. I'm going to close and the musicians will come and we'll sing a final song. But I want you to mull these over. What is God calling you to do for world missions? Have you, ever, have you asked God that? And I want you to, to mull that around. What has God called you to do in regards to world missions? And the final is, how do you think God wants you to respond? I was setting you up with that question, to be honest with you. Because how do you think God wants you to respond? Of course, God wants you to respond with a yes. Of course, God wants you to move forward in your relationship with him. And together, I'm looking forward to seeing what God can do in us and through us, not just to reach our community, but ultimately to reach the nations around us with the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. Why don't you stand with me as we close in prayer? Lord, you've given us incredible blessings. Every single moment of every single day, your hand is upon us. Your wonderful gift of salvation is there. So, Lord, I pray that we won't be flippant. We won't be ungrateful for what you've done for us. Lord, also, I, I pray that we'll always be ready. We'll be patient. We'll be focused. So that when we, you do give us opportunities, that we will not miss those opportunities. We know you created us with a plan and with a purpose. So, Lord, I pray that as we go out this week, that you will reveal those plans and purposes to us. You'll make it very clear. I pray that you'll work in our hearts so that we will be obedient and quickly obedient to what you want us to do so that we can be the people you want us to be and do the things that you want us to do. And we can, as a church, come back and rejoice in how you're working in us and through us. And in Jesus' name, amen.